Hello fellow time travelers, Tony Whit here. You may notice that the sound quality of the episode you're about to hear is slightly different than the norm, and that's because we were trying something very different with the way we were recording. I'm not exactly pleased with it, so I do apologize if you have some difficulties. It may be a bit loud at times, at which point I would say just find a level and try to stick with it, especially if you're listening to it on uh, headphones. That being said, we are in the market for new recording equipment. Right now, we're currently using a pair of USB microphones, CAD audio ones, and we don't have a mixing board, and I would like to move us to more professional audio equipment. The best way for us to obtain that equipment is either for somebody to be really generous to us and donate some, or to let us know if you have some for sale. Or, best of all, you could uh, become a patron of ours on our new Patreon page, which I will give the address for at the very beginning of this podcast. Anyway, if you enjoy what you're hearing, let us know. Join us as a patron, and thank you for listening. Enjoy! Hello fellow time travelers and welcome back to the Doctor Who Target Book Club, the podcast in which we undertake the historic task of discussing in-story order of the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Witt and today we have an historic four-person discussion panel including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979, that would be me. There's also our intermediate-level casual fan who's seen several episodes but has not previously read any of the books until these podcasts, and this time it's none other than the worthy Dalton Hughes. Hello, Dalton. I'm back. Hello. He is back, <laughs> and it's about time. You're unworthy. How does that feel? Yeah, I'm worthy. Yeah, no one's ever noticed that. And finally, we have not one but two novice fans one who has seen little to none of the original series and has not previously read any of the books except for the ones we've done for this podcast. And this time around, it's the wise and witty Alison Fitch-Safried. Hello, Alison. Hello, and I have noticed before that Dalton is worthy. I would just like to put on the record. <laughs> yeah, somehow they're all W's except for what's coming up. And our returning novice fan who has not seen the original series and has only read a few other books up to this point, and that is the wonderful and glamorous Jenny Ingersoll. Hello, Jenny. Hello! I'd like to correct, I've read more than just a few books up to this point. Uh, in, in English major. Uh, Let me correct that. A few Doctor Who books <laughs> up to this point. She's read significantly more than just a few. Yes. I know, I'm, just, I'm just being a pain in the ass. Anyway. Yeah, that's fine. We... Some of us. That's why you were invited, so you would fit in. Yes. <laughs> Before we get to talking about the book, let's remind listeners of our new Patreon page, available at HTTPS patreon.com forward slash dwtargetbc depending on the amount you give per month you will receive a randomly chosen bbc book not a target book since we know you all have those i couldn't get rid of any of the ones i have as a gift for supporting us just to say thank you for being willing to help us stay on the virtual air please check out the page when you can so far we have only one patron for whom we are so grateful thank you again bart uh, Allison signed your card tonight, so that will be winging its way to you quite soon. And we hope that there will be others joining you quite soon. 
This time we're going back to that long run of Hartnell stories novelized in the 1980s to discuss Glenn Jones' novelization of his own script for the 15th Doctor Who story, The Space Museum. Without further ado, here are some fast facts. Doctor Who, The Space Museum, adapted by Glenn Jones from a script that aired from 42465 to 51565, published by Target Books in June 1987. As of this recording in August of 2017, this title is currently out of print. It is available as an unabridged BBC audiobook, 142 pages. You That's almost like don't even need to speed that up artificially. I know. Yeah. It, I know. I'm getting better at You're it. Like one of those people on a pharmaceutical commercial. <laughs> or the micro machines guy from yeah. the 80s. Everything starts off fine and then it ends with like, hey, an anal leakage and death. And you're like, wait, excuse me? <laughs> what, 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 what was that? Just squeeze well, those out at the last minute. So you're like, like, oh, squeeze uh, okay. those out. Okay. Anal leakage, just squeeze that out at the last minute. You don't yeah. need to squeeze it out. It's leaking. I chose my words. Speaking of anal leakage. Speaking of anal leakage, we have... You never, ever want to combine anal leakage with anal leakage. No, no. Speaking of anal leakage, we have Doctor Who, the Space Museum. I will read the back of it. That has nothing to do with each other. Well, you'd you'd be surprised. Um, The TARDIS materializes on what, at first sight, appears to be a dry and lifeless planet serving only as a graveyard for spaceships. No, it isn't. It's a museum, damn it. But hence the title. Then the TARDIS crew discovers a magnificent, magnificent museum housing relics from every corner of the galaxy. These have been assembled by the Morocks, more like the morons, a race of cruel conquerors who have invaded the planet Zeros, more like Zeros, and enslaved its inhabitants. Upon further exploration, the Doctor, Ian, Barbara, and Vicky seem to stumble upon the impossible for suddenly facing themselves. Uh, for suddenly facing them in an exhibit case, they find themselves. <laughs> exactly. So this is the book. It's it's in poor shape because you know it's the Space Museum. Um, Glenn Jones is one of the few writers who also appeared as an actor in Doctor Who. Mm. In fact, he appeared in the story of the Sontaran Experiment with the other actor who wrote Doctor Who novelizations, Ian Martyr, about ten years after this. I know, it smells terrible. That's um, nice. You really? have to smell books. Yeah, yeah. well. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's yeah. got a very Different musky smell. Like My yeah. sister had that up in her um, attic. <laughs> up in so, her what? There up in her attic. attic. I'm sorry, there's <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. It was literally up in the attic. That. Yes. <laughs> you paused. Now here, that really says something about how quickly the show evolved in such a short time, because if you were to put those two stories side by side, there's no real comparison. Doctor Who changed and changed utterly and a terrible beauty was born within about 10 years. Even at this late date in the second season, the Hartnell era is still finding its way in terms of tone, and this story is no exception. Uh, Jones himself was a far more prolific and well-regarded writer than this book might lead you to think. He was born in South Africa in 1931 to Italian and Welsh parents, and he went on to become a newspaper writer, a playwright, an actor, and a producer. His best-known work is the 1979 play The 88, about the mutiny of an Indian regiment in 1920, the launch of which coincided, and not the mutiny, I mean the the play, the launch of which coincided with the IRA's murder of Lord Mountbatten, and trust me, this was a big deal at the time, so people thought that it was just wrong for them to have launched this play about a mutiny at the same time that a member of the aristocracy Mm -hmm. was killed. 
He went, if he was a member of the aristocracy, also went on to write and produce 16 plays, and yes, most of them were after he wrote the screenplay. <laughs> he also was a lyricist and a screenwriter for a handful of films. He died in 2014 at the age of 82. Now, what's interesting about the televised version of the Space Museum is that Jones himself was dismayed by what the script editor, Dennis Spooner, did to his original script. Spooner didn't like all the humor in the story, thinking of it more as a high-concept science fiction story. In other words, he came to basically the same conclusion that most fans do when they see the first episode, and for much the same reasons. In fact, I have the first episode with me tonight, so if after you want to see it, it's mm. just stunning. It's amazing. It's one of the best half hours of Doctor Who since mm. the very first episode. Mm. And then it's followed by episodes two and four, two, three, and four, and therefore ruined. <laughs> um, whenever we hear about Doctor Who stories from this era that didn't work out, or from any era, really. It's always a case of a writer who turns in a stellar first episode, a script for it, then a week or two later they turn in the second episode that's not so great, and then a few weeks later they turn in the third and the fourth, and by then there's no saving it. Is this the appropriate place to make a Stephen Moffat crack? Ooh. Yeah, cold. Do you Sorry. dare? Do you dare? What do you have to say? Uh, well... As a Who novice who really loved Silence in the Library and then thought his whole Matt Smith run was mostly crap. That's kind of how I feel about him. Not his whole career, necessarily, but right. crap's a great exaggeration and unfair, I guess. But I, I felt that he started on a high point and then spent years trying to convince the audience they had just seen something sparkly and clever that really yes. didn't make any sense from story to story. Yes. And I found it very disappointing because I so enjoyed that episode and coupling and some other things that he had done. Well, so. to, to use that example in terms of the Space Museum because it act, there actually is a parallel. A little bit how I feel about Sherlock as well. Well. That by the end he's just making you feel like he's, you've seen something clever when you really haven't. It doesn't make any sense. Right. Well, imagine that the first episode is of this, the Space Museum, is like the first episode of Sherlock or Science in the Library or some of Stephen Moffat's better scripts. Imagine that episodes two through four are later Stephen Moffat when the script editor is too afraid to tell the boss that his script sucks. That's what it comes down to. And do you think to. it's some of the form where someone really just had a half hour idea and they're forced to pad it out? No, I think it's more along the lines of there's a very good idea at the start and then you have trouble developing it. Now, what a script editor is supposed to do is shepherd it along the way, and some script editors are very hands-on. Um, as a matter of fact, um, the late, great Robert Holmes was known to rewrite a script so completely that very little of the original remained after he got his hands on it, and usually to the better. In this case, Spooner must have seen a script for a gloriously eerie first episode, then saw what was coming in later, <laughs> and decided to do what he was supposed to do. He edited it. And it's, the, the humor is such as it is, is still in episodes two through four, but yeah. <laughs> that first episode is really stunning. It even gives Vicky some good stuff to do because up to this point, the writers have been treating her as little more than a lazy Susan. Uh, There's a pun for you. Uh, nice, nice. Uh, Which is partly related to the collar as well. Is that the function of it? I guess so. <laughs> I suppose so. But Jones, in his novelization, appears to have put everything back in. And it's up to us to decide whether this is a good idea or not. Because I can guarantee you, the humorous elements or the supposed humorous elements in this book are not in the televised version. Yeah. 
So. Which is what you said about the Romans as well. Yeah, except in that case, uh, except in that case, we had a novelizer who was novelizing someone else's script, and he was basically changing it so completely mm -hmm. that it was his own, right. and was improving upon it. Here, you've got a person novelizing their own script, which they thought was funny at the time, and, well, I, I don't want to poison the well too much more than I already have, so I should just start asking first impressions. Jenny, this is your kitchen, so we're going to start with you. <laughs> we are in my kitchen. We are uh, in Casa Ingersoll, yeah. so... They love to uh, sick the junior-most member of the cast uh, with the first question. And no. by they, and they, she means me. That, that, that's I was trying to be white. <laughs> senior most. <laughs> that, that medication stuff we were talking about earlier. Um, right now. Uh, we age knows, what is it? Friendship knows no age. Uh, we, do, we don't discriminate here. Uh, no, no, no. It's interesting. Like, <laughs> you've done the fewest episodes. You go first. <laughs> when, it's a very clear hierarchy. It's like a union. When, <laughs> uh, paying into it and it does nothing. No. Uh, when, <laughs> when you talked about this book, you made it sound like it was going to be really horrific. And mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm ready. And I'm reading through it. And I, I don't think that the writing is always terrible it's more like it's just really awkward okay. like i actually yeah. and this is i won't go on about this for too long but when i was let's see in fifth grade i wrote a hundred i don't know like 200 page long novel about a computer teacher that i had that i hated and i made it up that she was in an explosion and the computers combined with her body and turned it into a robot and then she was hell-bent on taking over the world and then me and my little friends sort of became like Sailor Moon heroines and, yes. and we're going to defeat her and the, some of the lines in here you know especially and, and you've hi highlighted some of them where they have these nonsense names the glamo and the blamo thingy doozy and then <laughs> someone's pounding a table and is like what you need to go out there immediately and there's a lot of adverbs kind of reminded me of that writing I did back when I was nine yes. um, I was like you know this isn't bad like it's kind of engaging but it's just awkward like there's yeah. there's an awkwardness here that sometimes really left me just shaking my head. It's more like uh, it's written by an adolescent rather than for. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is just funny. Uh, and it's kind of, you know, reading the back of this, as you did earlier, it, there's kind of no saving this narrative. It's so slow. Like, there's, yeah. there's nothing really interesting that's going on. Even they somehow managed to make, uh, Joan somehow manages to make this potential revolution, which could be really interesting, kind of dull and, yes. and plotting. Uh, but, it, you know, the back of this book, it's like, okay, they're on a lifeless planet. Uh, there's a museum, which I, I love museums, but not always the most, you know, exciting thing. Right. And then they see themselves in a display case. Okay, <laughs> like, great. Is that the conceit of, like, this whole thing? Mm -hmm. And I... I mean, it, maybe that's part of the problem that Jones set him up with himself up with a tough task is yeah. making this content fascinating, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> hard exactly. to do. Yeah, exactly. Um, and in fact, I'd want to go back to that at some point and tell you what I wish would happen with mm. the story at some point. Um, Allison, I thought that the first two chapters were by far the most entertaining, and I actually liked the setup. I thought it had some de decent atmospherics. I like Ian as a point of view character. 
good God, not another desert planet. And then he's daydreaming about casinos and chicken cordon bleu and, you right. know, beach holidays and all of that. But I thought they, they did, the author did find a way to find this desert planet a little bit different. You know, there are no footprints. Kind of a claustrophobic sense with the with the silence and no echoes, and I thought he found a way to make it a different desert. And I always thought, even though I knew about you know them seeing themselves in display case from the blurb on the back, I was interested to see how it would work out. But I thought that was the high point. Okay. Instead of, uh, I thought the resolution was never especially interesting. Yeah, and interesting you should mention desert planets because the very first episode of the next book, The Chase, desert planet. In fact, the name of the planet is Aridius. <laughs> yeah, because Terry Nation likes punning on planet names, even though it was originally a watery planet. It's called Aridius for some Every reason. time you say Terry Nation, I still visualize Terry I know, Nation, Terry Nation with the hatchet. I know. I actually put that in one of the. Uh, I was going to put that in a video, but it didn't work out so well. Dalton, first impression. Um, I'm with Jenny. It, it didn't. It wasn't as bad as I was expecting it to be. Mm -hmm. um, it's def it definitely wasn't like the most engaging story. <laughs> right. But I, it was an easy read. Like, I mean, like they're made for kids. They're made for teenagers, young adults. Um, I enjoyed it. It was. It was again like it felt like an adventure. And even though it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to, the explanation ended up being just kind of like, oh. Okay, um, and we were talking earlier. It was kind of like another case of uh, edge of destruction, where it's like this really simple explanation just like fixes everything and magically, ta-da, it's over. Yes. Um, which I mean, I guess part of it is what is the story? What happened and why did this happen? Or the revolution on the planet? Right. So it's like okay, well, if I cared more about why they got there and how it happened, okay, then I would be pissed off. Yes. But really, this is about like what is happening while they're there. Yes, and that simple resolution that you're talking about, the um, whatever it was at the very end, I can't even remember what it was. It was just so minor. The and crystal. Yeah, yeah the some crystal, crystal fell on the Targus console you know. and got some, the jam got stuck in the Majumi or whatever. And it's like, that doesn't happen on screen at all. There's no explanation given for why they jumped a time track. Yeah. The challenge in novelizations can often be, as I complained about in a, a couple of these, that the descriptions of the action can sound like, can read like blocking instructions yes. or directions for an artist. And I thought in yes. the first two chapters, the writer actually does a good job of describing their encounters with different objects that are tangible versus intangible to them, what is visible, invisible, what's audible and not audible. That's actually fairly challenging in this environment. Oh, so yeah. from a technical point of view, I thought he pulled that off nice. It was very easy to follow a pretty complex situation wherein you're supposed to be as confused as the characters are, mm -hmm. yeah. but not more confused than right. they are. It's like so. once it goes from being observational to being something where they're actually taking part in the action, mm -hmm. that's where it starts to fumble and that's where it yes. starts to be a little weird. But Whenever they're just exploring and kind of feeling things out, you get these great kind of, yeah, descriptions of how things are going, and it's eerie, and it's like, okay, maybe something's going to happen here that's going to be good, and then it just... Yeah. <laughs> and it never quite materializes. Yeah. No pun intended. There's a few nice moments where I, I get hopeful, because I'm yeah. like, oh, you, when Barbara is seeing the spacesuit and how there's like the blankness of the visor mm -hmm. and maybe she sees something in it mm -hmm. like that's a terrifying moment yeah. i think we yeah. can yeah. all anyone who's seen 
a, a spacesuit in a museum, mm -hmm. we know exactly what that looks like and how when you see costumes that you know are empty, somehow you get this unsettled feeling of like, well, is a, it really empty? It's a body, but yeah. it's not a body, but it's yeah. a body. And <laughs> I, you know, I read that and I'm like, okay, so like you can do this here, but, but once again, that's, that's an object. More of it. Like I would love yes. more of it and to capitalize on, on that tension because they're in this very, what could be a very interesting place. It's full yeah. of artifacts, uh, ostensibly from all over the world, and yet we see very few of them. I have no right. idea really what this museum looks like. Like, I think we get some vague description of the outside, but as for the inside, like the architecture, we know there's a lot of rooms, yeah. but all of what's in there, we actually see startling, startlingly few objects Like yeah. really are in there. On screen, it looks like haunted huts. Oh. Yeah, that's awful. And to your point, Allison, about the blocking, I, that's a really nice way of putting it. Like, there was a part where Vicky is getting led through a kind of small passage by Gyar and whoever the hell else she's with. Oh. And I feel better now, I don't remember any names. That yeah. takes... Because I don't care. They're all and that's not my thing. So yeah. if, if the author had done a job, I would care. Um, <laughs> the and it takes like three pages, and it's like painstakingly describing. First, she put her hands out, and then this, and then she tried to do this with her foot. And I'm like, I don't need to know exactly like where you're putting your butt in every like, for five pages. <laughs> not just that say that you tried to get through a small crevice, and then you got up to the top. Like, let's speed it the hell up. Um, yeah, right. There, there was a lot of awkwardness sometimes about that. Yeah, it's very much like a, a well, you can tell he's a playwright. Yeah. Yeah, you can definitely tell that, that by the time he's writing this novelization, the 88 is behind him. It's 10 years behind him. He's done lots of successful plays. Um, I haven't looked up any other of Jones's books, but I have a feeling they don't quite write as, read as right, play writerly as, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but you know what I'm getting yeah. at. The stage direction doesn't feel... It feels like those books probably would not have the stage directions that this did because he's probably working from his original scripts and is translating directly from his stage directions and his blocking. And so yeah, I think that's well, a very Well, he's writing point. a lot of things he would probably ordinarily trust the cast to communicate. Yes. And exactly. he doesn't have a cast physically acting this out for the novelization. You were saying something earlier about an object, the, uh, the, the spacesuit. Oh, but I actually, yeah, I like that description of the spacesuit, but once again, that's an object. I thought he did well describing the interaction with the objects, how they were confusing. It was the the characters beyond the core four that they had in this cast uh, that were the weak. They're basically the seven drawers. I mean, oh, their yeah. names are interchangeable, yeah. and they're <laughs> yeah. They're not objects. They're not the four that he's interested. He's really only interested, arguably, in Ian and Vicky. Um, and Fairly entertaining ways. I'll get into that later. Yeah. But the other characters, he's not really interested in. But they're not objects. They come off as something between characters and objects. Yeah. The I think the only one that we get really any kind of um, feeling from is I don't even remember the name. Chor. Dark Daco. Daco. Yeah. The Daco. one who basically dies, quote unquote. You know. Fool fools them and then comes back and saves the other Morai. And actually yeah. dies on screen. Huh. Yeah, that bait and switch never happens on screen. So that in the story in the book gives him a little more depth than, yeah. than any of the other ones. There's a little development of okay, I kept calling is it Lesbos, Lobos? Lobos. No, Lobos, yes. Lesbos and Lobo and of course very different museum. Not a nineties comic character. I think I prefer 
here. Yeah. There was some, you know, humorous characterization of him as the angry bureaucrat playing right. chess with a robot that was. I like that it was Matt. It was, Matt. was, was yes. a little entertaining yes. to me. I was sad when Matt got killed. And again, R.I.P. Matt. Like I wrote that down. And yeah. again, Matt does not happen on screen. There is no oh, Matt. Oh. No, there is Shame. no Matt. There is no chess. There is no. There's none of this Lobos thinking in Earth terms and thinking, why did I come up with that phrase? Oh. Okay, we have to go back to that. Yes, yeah, yes, we do. we do. Yeah, because it's craziness. We can talk well, about we can it right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's, let's come back. Now. I'm ready yeah. to hear someone hold forth. Um, yeah. <laughs> holding forth. No, I, I think I, I may have mentioned this in the last podcast that there's this idea and narrative that if you're going to introduce a, a hint or a suspicion or a gun at some point in the story, the gun's got to go off. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. was waiting the whole time. I made yes! fastidious notes about how many Earth idioms yes! are on what pages. Uh, the exception equaling the rule. Page 111, to smoke out. 92, the number will be up. Page 100, one for all, all for one. 101, um, knock down with a feather. Sixes and sevens. I could go on. Red and I, day. Yeah. I'm like, he, he says this about it's two or three times. Lobo says where he's like, why am I saying strange idioms from Earth? And I'm like, yeah, what are you? And I wanted it to have something to do with why all of this is happening, why the time jump happened, right. or something, because they also made reference to like, why is English in our our translators? We, when you've we, never experienced Yeah, we before. didn't yeah. Um, make a lot of, you know, effort to know that planet. Yeah. And I wanted it to all come back around to some sort mm -hmm. of cute, yeah. you know, resolution. And it did, it wasted my time. Right. And I was mad at, at the story for that. You yes. know, don't give me a gun and don't have it go off. And don't make me write down puns or idioms. It, it and would then, also have explained why they have Earth exhibits. In the museum. Yeah. There's no explanation given for this at all. The I was fact curious they, about that. Yeah, that they have a fucking they have a fucking space shuttle called the Robert E. fucking Lee. Alright, so do we think that that is revisionist history, like it from an alternative Earth timeline? Maybe. Or a fictional one where we dodged the bullet, but in 1987 it was still possible? Right. Or it over and over yeah, and over again. Yeah, really do. And it's not on screen. Again. And it's like, something that he added. Yeah, okay. So, hmm. I mean... I thought that that, once again, was some sort of foreshadowing of this is some sort of alternative timeline. Which would have been Earth, interesting. Where it was eventually explored or conquered right. by, this, uh, by this empire, mm -hmm. but nothing. And yeah, yeah, that would have been more interesting. Instead, mm -hmm. it sounds like they just happened to put a museum here because they found this graveyard of ships, except that actually comes from the blurb in the back. There's nothing in the text of the book to suggest that. No. And uh, I know I'm the one in these podcasts who keeps saying, it's not on screen, it's not on screen, because I'm the only one that knows that. But You could be lying the whole time. No, no. Straight face. Like, oh, honestly, it's not on screen. Tony said it's dude, not on screen. Is this the face of a liar? Sometimes. It's the face of a half-drunk person, Could but is it the face of a liar? Well, it's not usually exclusive. I mean, it's not the face of a straight, but... Well, that's true. That's not the hero there. Mm -hmm. Says Lobos. So where was I? Uh, we were talking about <laughs> the fact that they have all these Earth exhibits. They know English. It's in their data bank for some reason. Data bank. Um, they have a chess-playing robot named Matt. And yet that never pays off, ever, at all. And it's not even a plot line in the original televised version. It appears to have been something that Jones put in the original, maybe for humor. Though, 
God only, I, I can't find the humor in it. I is, honestly can't. Is Glenn Jones still alive? No, he's dead. Oh, you didn't listen to hear my intro? I told you he died in <laughs> I was the just trying to listen to so many things. Um, <laughs> we need to, to call him up from the dead and let him no, know we're fixing dead. his book for him. We, we should get a Ouija is... board and say, Glenn Jones, tell us why <laughs> you did this. Is it Harold Bloom who said, if we do not speak ill of the dead, who will? <laughs> good, good point. But this is this yeah. is our, our alternate but, mission in these podcasts. But I found those novels. interesting, exactly. entertaining threads. That's why I was disappointed. If it had been utterly banal and interesting throughout, I would not have been set up for disappointment. Exactly. But there is some skill going on there. He's just foreshadowing things that never happened. Yeah, and it's even more annoying for somebody who has suffered through the televised version to think, oh, he may actually be improving this. Oh, no. Made it worse. I don't know how. Made it worse. Jesus God. <laughs> This is ten times worse than I remember it being, um, because the humor is so cringy. Yes, Dalton. I sorry. Looking at, I have just page numbers of things, and so that's fine. Going back to the Robert E. Lee and this revisionist history idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the lines that I had kind of uh, highlighted was um, Daco talking to Barbara, mm-hmm. and the line is, "If you don't fight wars, you don't keep weapons. If you don't keep weapons, you submit to brute force." Um, so yeah, kind of this idea of like, sometimes wars are necessary. Sometimes things right. happen for a reason, mm-hmm. um, whether you want them to or not. Um, and they're like right under the Robert E. he says this. Yes. So it's like, except is that? I don't know. I don't think so. I think if it is intentional on Jones's part, it is way too subtle to actually come across. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you spotted it, because he may have actually intended that. But if, if that's what he was going for, I would have preferred a 2x4 to the face with that. Oh, I would have right. really liked to have had that, because it would have had a theme. It would have shown the Xerons, or whatever the fuck they're called, as being people that don't want to fight against the Morocks, but are doing so because they kind of have to. Yeah. And even that doesn't come across, this whole even revolution. Putting them in the place of the Confederates, though, that's really gross. It really is. Well, we do get the two-by-four on page 132, Okay. Uh, where I was like, oh, uh, now we're being told what this is about. Yeah. This is that, that little um, philosophizing bit. It would... <laughs> My my scan be, behove. It would behoove, I think, members of the human race to remember that everything they think, everything they do, every contact they make with each other carries an infinitesimal responsibility in shaping not only their own future, but the future of others. So it is with us on zeros. Our personalities, <laughs> ourselves, we might have changed things in others that might or might not still save us. Of course, you could still call it fate or predestination. But I like to think we do have some say in the matter. You know, I'm you like, sounded very much like Hartnell there. Oh, All God. we needed was a little. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, right, and I'm, I'm like, oh, okay, this is the part where I'm supposed to care a lot, right? Yes. Too bad I didn't. But and yeah. <laughs> two and by four to the face. Yes, it's like, what is that supposed to be? And I think that's what he's talking about. I think it's that our presence here, arriving, and knowing the future that could be allows us to create a better future for the Xerons and for ourselves. Except, oh, God, it's not that great future. Well, and that's all well and good, it's just not um, cleanly executed. Yeah, that's no. All. Yeah. No, 
not in the least bit. In fact, there's very little that's cleanly or clean or executed about the stand book. There was a place where they actually, yeah, it was on page 94, mm-hmm. where we got an expedition or an exposition dump finally about the rebellion. Um, oh, yes. Barbara Saki Nidako, oh, they are our masters. It was they who turned the planet into a museum, a record of the wars, but soon we'll rise again, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh. Soon we'll, we'll rise again. The I, South will rise again. <laughs> Holy shit. It's on, I, the, it's on the same page. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, oh, no. I think Dalton's background and where you oh, come dear. from may have made you particularly sensitive to that phrasing <laughs> and to those sub... But, you know, that's, that's that's not bad, like, evidence right there. That, that, that would pass in my comp class. Yeah. Just say it that it's, way. It's that same scene <laughs> exactly. where he says, if you don't find yeah, it, you don't Yeah, I see it. I see it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would think so. But that exposition, I'm like, you know, I actually would have liked this sooner. I don't even care. At this point, I'm, like, thirsty for this dump. Right? So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm desirous of this information. Yeah. Because, <laughs> leakage, if you will. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, my mind immediately went to copperphagy, and I'm like, no, 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 no. no. That's disgusting. Um, it, it just could have been, you know, for the first, I, I wrote on my notes, slow start. Like, Somewhere in those first, you know, couple of chapters, we could have already been doing the cross-cutting to yeah. the, the zeros and and some of this information. Well, mm-hmm. and two, they were using them as slaves. Yes, they were using them as. Oh. They were using them for oh. work. Oh, they were so using it was them, like this revolution oh. is a parallel to a slave uprising in a way. Oh my! And I'm wondering how much of Glenn Jones's own childhood or growing up in South Africa may oh, inform that. Interesting. Yeah. So it's, it's not handled the way it no. could be or should be. If you are either going to make a parallel to the <laughs> Confederacy rising again or a parallel to a slave uprising, you better make sure that you yeah. make it clear which one you're doing. Right. They are yeah. not remotely interchangeable. No. <laughs> no. That's, no. that's true. You end up through this queasy mishmash. Yes. Yeah. It's it's wondering, did I just read something brown. horrible? Oh. Or? It's like reading the Crusaders all over again. <laughs> that there's some bits of it that seem awfully brilliant, and there are parts of it that just make you go, oh, hell no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. hell no. Yeah. For, for what it's worth, I, I think I wrote at some point, I was like, oh, there's, oh yeah, on page 84, there was a, a comment made by Lobos, oh, are you up to flushing out a couple of women? But then I was like, you know, this is the first overtly, like, sexist, well, anti-woman, I should say, line in here. I think there's plenty of times when Ian appeared absolutely stupid. Oh. I was like, did the author just hate Ian? Or, like, oh. Less than the others do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is actually incredibly smart, sympathetic Ian compared to the previous six, I think. You think so? Well, I didn't read the last one. Oh, that's I, didn't, I didn't read much of the last one. The last one, one he so. basically became like... Action know, hero. Yeah, like John Wayne. I did read the beginning where they were trying to convince that he was very sexy. He was yeah. literally a knight in China. Yeah, literally. Literally. He gets knighted by King Richard. Well, but ordinarily he is portrayed as verging on buffoonish, and here oh, I yeah. have the, the line written down, the magnificent passion of Ian's grouchy indignance, which I thought yes. was supposed to be dark perspective, <laughs> where he's constantly being dealt petty insults by almost everyone, and constantly irritated, and you know, sort of the equivalent of some sort of sand, grain of sand under his garments <laughs> at all times, but I thought we were supposed to sympathize with that, so yeah. the author might hate Ian, but hates Ian less than hmm. usual, I okay. think. Yes, yeah. I could see that. I could see that. What I was struck by, 
and we might as well talk about the regulars because I do want to talk about just why is it these people are traveling together again? Because I know they're kind of forced together because they always have been, but this is written as if every single adventure they've had previously just made them hate each other more and more and more. Mm-hmm. Nobody has a kind word for anybody. Ian's bitching at the doctor. Babs is bitching at Ian, which we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. She calls him a baby at one point. It's like, serious? Babs is bitching at Vicky. Yes. Uh, strangely. And Vicky yeah. is being just an ungovernable little shit. But at this least is she the has first time that they've given her any development whatsoever, yes. though. So yeah, I that is true. This. I, yes. I, I have extensive notes. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Please go on, because I want to talk about how the, the fact that the first time we have any characterization of Vicky... She's this. But I loved it. (laughs) This was my favorite part of the book by far. Um, Because, like I said, there might have been some kind of wonderful characterization of Vicky in the last book that I missed, but I'm kind of doubting it. There isn't. (laughs) They give her personality, and it's not completely gendered, which is actually still refreshing to me, considering the era of the episode and the era of the books Mm -hmm. as well. Because she's sort of a drawl know-it-all. But previously, we've seen her express fear and concern and disorientation everything's been based in most in emotion mostly negative emotion and here they show her not just being a know-it-all but actually being rather smart and the first thing i think of substance that's said about her from her perspective is she's looking at the one of the first ships they see and she says well it's not a like a warship it's got to be a freighter based on how it's built oh yeah that's right and that actually was sort of sort of a rather quietly feminist relative to what we're reading yeah that it was not something that was more facile or emotional yeah and it's in, in keeping way. with what we know about her character that she's from the future and, and the space-bearing society and if she's trying to imitate anyone in the crew it's the doctor with yeah. his constantly dealing insults and i thought it actually worked as a smart teen who hasn't yet figured out, and I say this as someone who started trying to figure this out at the age of 12 and still hasn't succeeded at doing so in 37, (laughs) who hasn't yet figured out that line between funny, witty jokes and the just insults that alienate you from the group. So she's trying to deliver the kinds of jokes and burns the doctor does, but she's not in the same position that the doctor is. And she may not realize that Ian and Barbara really resent it when the bar when the doctor burns them like that. That's so a thought. I actually really like that characterization of her. Well, on the one hand, and like dropping uh, you know Greco-Roman historical references left and right to try to impress them with how much she knows. Oh yeah. And then at one point she succeeds in doing so, and the doctor says, you know, I must have gone to a much better school than those <laughs> you taught at. And that's the weird thing too, because I love that moment in the first episode. Because he looks at her with a renewed respect, and he ha- he doesn't he doesn't insult Ian and Barbara. I mean, there are no there are no insults of Ian and Barbara in the same way that there are here. But I think you're right. I think it's Vicky trying to find her way in this group, and we haven't seen that before. Literally, um, the only thing she talked about in the Crusades was her clothes. Yeah, she was like, oh, I hate you much like more Pedro. I wish yeah. I had a dress. That yeah. was literally her only topic yes. of conversation. Which yeah. is crazy because on screen she actually has a bit of a sense of humor. At one point, she does this kind of accent. And you can tell that it's a joke at someone's expense. It's like, oh, that is so cute. Mm -hmm. Because Maureen O'Brien, as we have said before, is amazing. But she's saddled with a character that isn't a character. Whereas, you're right. You're right. Jones is giving her a characterization that she didn't have before. And by the way, I'm I'm 47 and I still don't know when my jokes are landing or not. (laughs) 
Well, I know after they land. But, uh, well, later in chapter three, she said, right, it says, right, now it was Vicky's turn to whisper almost to herself, time like space, although a dimension in itself also has dimensions of its own. It's supposed to be a quote, and perhaps it is one, and That's I just don't know quote. it. Um, and this is when the doctor says she must have gone to a better school, but even when she's thinking quietly to herself, it's not about fear and outfits. Right. It's about time and spaceships. Mm -hmm. But it shows that she knows things that Barbara and Ian don't, and I haven't seen that developed before, because she's from, what, 200 years after they are? Yeah. She should have much broader casual knowledge of science, Agreed. even as an early teen than they do with university degrees simply because more is known then. Of course children know much more about physics mm -hmm. um, in the future than they do now. This is the first time she's kind of dropped something like that. Right, and, and I, I forgot to mention this when we recorded the Zarbi episode. There's a whole sequence between Barbara and Vicky on screen that's missing from the novelization in which they're talking about her schooling and how she's only schooled for like an hour a day, but she doesn't know what aspirin is. So it's one of those moments of like a fish out of water thing. But yeah, here she actually kind of does strike you as a smug little brat of a teenager from the future, but still, she's from the future and she knows something. So yeah, you've won me over. I think I like the characterization My better even now. Yeah. <laughs> I wonders too, um, you know, if this was supposed to be a comedy and supposed to be funny. Um, I just like your use of the conditional supposed to be. Because, I mean, parts of it come off that way, and then other parts it's like, what? what? Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of that like slapstick idea, like the Three Stooges. Um, or like modern comedies where people just kind of give it to each other. And it's funny, but it's also like, oh, yeah. why would you hang around people like that? Exactly. Um, so I think that might be kind of what they're going for too, but it just doesn't work. It yeah. seems to me that if you hear it, you can stand that for a long, a while longer, but yeah. when you're reading it, you cut that down by like two thirds. Oh yeah, and it still yeah. carries the same weight, but mm -hmm. we're still getting the full brunt. So we have to sit here and watch the Doctor and Ian bicker for about ten lines more than we'd like to yes. see it. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, mean, I thought that least... was the most entertaining part was the bickering. Really? Oh. Yeah, because I found the story once the other alien characters were introduced to be such a letdown. Yeah. <laughs> it Touché. Really Touché. Yes. Perhaps I'm just entertained by people bickering. But. Well, the bickering, admittedly, is quite... Well, I think it strikes me as weird only because, one, again, it doesn't happen on screen, and two, and two, after reading The Crusaders, and after reading previous books where the Ian, oh, where the Ian, where the Doctor and Ian are presented so much more warmly with each other, you know, getting together and fix my snags, that, you know, that sort of thing that they did in the Zarbi, things <laughs> seem so at loggerheads here. And oh, it's yeah. like, okay, I, it's like watching, it's like listening to the parents fighting. You're like, why are they oh. doing this? I don't understand. Not that I'm really doing that, but still. The one thing that I, I did like, and I always like this when it happens, is there are many moments when the doctor had to admit that he was wrong yes. or uncertain, yeah. and the other characters knew about it. I can't remember where it is, but when there's he's that. trying to find their way out of the museum. Yeah, there was that thing, like and I'm always like, thank you, because it always pisses me off so bad when he is so highfalutin and always correct and always knows what's going oh, on yes, and everyone yeah. has to deal with his freaking ego. This is the reason why I don't like Sherlock is because I can't stand oh. Sherlock being yeah. such a dick. 
I'm like, I don't no. care what magical brain and yeah, situation you have. Like, it doesn't give you an excuse to be assholes to people. Right. Um, Speaking so, of which, Benedict Cumberbatch wants to be the doctor someday. He would make a fine doctor. So It'd too. be great. Uh, no inevitable problem. in a soul-crushing way. It no. does. Yeah, true. Uh, but we get Jodie Whittaker first. Yes, that should be better. Yes. yes. Yeah. There yes. was one. We I don't know. I know that we've kind of just jumped in. No, like, that's fine. Like a good Please. thing that I liked about about this, and I wanted to find my. Yeah, page. if you can find good in this book, please. <laughs> I'd, I'd like you to find it because I I need to be guided back towards the light. This um, is my long night, long dark tea time of the soul here. I have a a, a, a portion. <laughs> yeah, please. Highlighted while while you're searching. Yeah, while I'm searching. Um, after Vicky has gone through the tunnel with uh, the seven dwarves, um, <laughs> two of them are looking, they look at each other and they think, these earthlings really were the most peculiar creatures. They made up magic incantations, they had terrible eyesight, and Gyar would have added, their hands were hot and clammy and not very pleasant to touch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like that perspective of them being like, these things are weird. Yeah. So as opposed to, you know, we're used to. The companions and the doctor being like the ones focusing on these alien creatures. You mm-hmm. get that alien perspective of them. Which is great, except. <laughs> yeah, it's I, like. I, I'm gonna crap all over that immediately. Um, no, I think you're right, but Jones is trying to make them into more alien than they were on screen yeah. because they just have weird eyebrows on screen. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> I'll show you. They just have weird eyebrows. Right. That's all yes. that's going on, and Lobos and the rest of the Morocks have tall hair. Oh. And that's it. That's all that's different about them. They are not ape-like in the way that they're described as here. The Xerons are, um, they, they don't apparently, they're not apparently without a sense of smell. They're not apparently, what was the other big thing they could see in the dark? Mm-hmm. These are two things, and I look at something like that and think, okay, one, this isn't, doesn't seem to be adding much to the story except to add it's aliens. It's a plot device. Yeah, but for, for new stuff, just to kind of keep the plot going, not necessarily yeah. to lead it to a resolution. No, yeah, it's yeah. just it's just it's self-serving. Oh, they can't smell because we need them not to be able to smell the gas that the zeros use to. Which Babs can smell. Right. Yeah. yeah which is and just, Vicky. And Vicky. Yeah, yeah. It totally is just self-serving. It's yeah. Like, oh, okay. Well, we need them not to be able to smell, so they can't smell. Right. Because okay. we need the humans to be able to smell the gas <laughs> and them not to. The second problem that I yeah. have with that, though, is the idea that why would why would a humanoid species evolve with a nose, with 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 a nose, but without the ability to smell, and with the ability to see in the dark? What is it about this desert planet that has this going on? I mean, do they does the is it just that there's no vegetation? That the natural atmosphere smells smells of petrichor all the time? Well, let's think yeah. here. They did. We don't know. Barbara just said it, it had a nose. We don't know if that really was a nose. Maybe it's just a facial feature. It's vestigial. Yeah. Also, they do make reference, and I'm not going to remember where it was, to a, a disaster and that they oh. had to go underground. Yeah. So perhaps there is some justification Filter for this. Breathing, I don't maybe. like maybe. justifying this. 
I don't like arguing against you, but maybe maybe that's there. Maybe it is. I'm a I'm a no way infallible of these things. The uh, the cold bloodedness though doesn't yeah. like necessarily. But that's the sense. thing. It really is something that we just have to guess about. I so, guess yeah. because yeah. Like, Joan sure as hell isn't telling us. <laughs> he also telling us a lot of things. And speaking of Chekhov's gun, you brought this up earlier. That's you what it's called. Chekhov's Thanks. gun. Um, that you've got this, you know, disaster in the past. Doctor Who is very good about disasters in yeah. the past. It tells us exactly what happened and why it led us to where we are now. Not here. Jones introduces it and says, oh yeah, that happened in the past. And we're not told about it again. Or right, what the page 94. Was. Do we yeah. get any information about that? Exactly. And it's not on screen. It's not there. And it's something that Jones added and just like... Oh, well, I'll explain later. That's one of the famous tropes about Doctor Who. Oh, I'll explain later. And then the explanation never fucking comes. Well, and once again, if they're doing Confederacy or Slave Uprising, oh. that would be a time to clarify. What in the world are you talking about here that you feel the need to mention a ship named the Robert E. Lee like eight times? Which way are you going with this? Yes. And does not commit. No, it does not. What else? What else strikes you about this book that obviously I have poisoned the well so completely? I was going to share some some positive things. I thought there were some moments where the humor worked. I'm still uh, waiting for you to guide me out of the dark. It's a shame that it it wasn't more, but there yeah. were some um, somewhere. This is on page sixty-seven, where I think the doctor and, and Ian have been bickering. And Ian says, well, I say we go on. If the doctor is lost, he'll take the specific gravity or something or other, bisect an angle, measure the isosceles <laughs> triangle, and be waiting for us, whatever. And Barbara's like, all right. That was funny. I, I laughed at that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like when, this is on page 77, when Lobos is kind of confronting the doctor and he is he can see which this is also interesting there's this idea of maybe some borderline telepathy yeah but actually oh wait no at this point they're using a machine it's a minor they're using machine. a machine but later on that guard pluton is the willing ian or something to do something and i think it's more than just our standard willing it's like he yeah. communicated with his brain that ian should do something <laughs> but lobos is is asking like oh what's earth like and he's showing him like pictures of penguins and like things yeah. and like sea yeah. creatures and, the old and bicycle. yeah they're like how'd you get here a bicycle yes. and i'm like all right that's kind of funny that actually um, is on screen as is a shot of hartnell in an old style bathing costume oh that's it's awesome hilarious. <laughs> and the doctor saying oh nice legs <laughs> the the line that penguins are nature's natural clowns i thought was hilarious i, I don't i maybe i wasn't supposed to find that hilarious but i thought that was fucking hilarious no uh but actually a good paragraph that i liked was when barbara's trying to get Daco out of it's worth mentioning that a character in this fifth grade novel I wrote was named Derpo would fit right in fit right in let's let's just be he's honest the yeah he's the missing one Derpo um, the Zeron yeah Derpo it's totally natural uh that she's trying to get him out of the museum and it says she looked over her shoulder the doors seemed to recede like a mirage in the desert the walls and floor appeared to undulate the exhibits in their cabinets pulsated and changed shape like living things her legs no longer belonged to her i'm like oh shit mm-hmm. like where was this writing all along this is yeah. actually getting yeah. me like oh yeah like she's in trouble um things are undulating your legs aren't yours anymore like 
you're in trouble, babe. Like, let's get out of here. Mm -hmm. uh, this, I think, was like some of the best writing in the whole thing where yeah. we got the urgency and the tension. Yeah, you've both been gassed. You need to get out of here. Yeah. Uh, but um, sadly, doesn't doesn't go on as long as it could. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't, unfortunately. I, I think it's, it is entirely possible that Jones is looking back on his own script and saying, all right, there are things we can improve here. There are other things we're just going to shove right back in and not do anything to. And that was one of the moments he improved upon. Yeah. And of course, we can be meta about all these things. Like, everyone's got lots of projects they're working on. Everyone has yeah. human limitations and limitations by True. studios and, and whatnot. And at um, some point, I would, I, and I don't know if any of them are listening, but I would love to have one of the novelizers at some point, you know, on the show. Oh my gosh, that would be that so would be cool. awesome. I mean, I'm, I would be terrified to have Terrence Dix on the show because I feel that he would probably read us the right for revenge. Yeah. I was going to say, we would be torn a new one, I think. Uh, I think he would be, and quite rightly, too, because he's done more writing in one day than I've done in my entire lifetime. Um, that being said... Yes, quality is always measured by the yard. That's yeah, well, in, in Dick's case, uh, Dick's... The more Dick's yardage, by the, the, yard. Dicks, <laughs> yeah. to the more yardage of Dick's, the more the people better. appreciate it. See, that's the thing. That one just found you. It right? really we, we did. Didn't See, we to... didn't do anything, Uncle Terry. We really didn't. Uncle Terrence, right? Because Uncle Terry is Terry Nation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Damn yeah. things. But yeah, I would. I'd love to at some point talk to one of these authors and say, "Why did you do that?" <laughs> because Glenn Jones, I I really want to just sit down with him and say, "Look, why?" Why do you do it? Why? What were you thinking? What's the motivation? Because there are those positive moments. You're absolutely right, Jenny. They're there. But they're... It's yes. a gig. It's mercenary writing. I just don't feel the sense of indignance that Ian does throughout the book and everyone else does. Right. It's a beach book. Yeah. It's a check. Yeah. It's, it's, no, it's, it's, it's a perfectly amusing book in most regards. For those of you it's listening thin, at home... But for those of you listening at home playing the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast drinking game, we have had the beach book from Allison. We've had the easy read from Dalton. Now we're just waiting for Jenny's uh, signature phrase. Well, it's probably something about the gun or feminism. Um, it just so happens that this book wasn't a lot about, you know, didn't, didn't trot upon my uterus very hard. And I've known that I've already said like three times tonight, the interesting thing is, because that's what I seem to say a lot. So speaking yeah. of which, so there's an exchange here where I can't figure out which side of it he's playing. So... <laughs> Don't be such a big baby, Barbara said, with some exasperation. This is to Ian. All men are when they're hurt, Vicky proclaimed, with the wisdom of her years and somewhat enjoying Ian's discomfiture. Now, this could just be Vicky is trying to be like the doctor and Vicky's just a jerk. You could say that Ian is beset by Herodans, is, his, is the author's perspective. Or it could be more feminism is stupid. Ian does, I mean, not, sorry, not feminism is stupid, but sexism is stupid. Ian doesn't appreciate it when sexist things are said to him. Maybe we shouldn't say sexist things. Well, how, how did you read that? You know, I did read that, and that's where some of... I took it as more feminist saying that sexism is stupid, but I could have been too optimistic. I, I wasn't sure exactly how to read it, because I thought, you know, I've seen so many um, sexist against women things in these novels, and here's finally a point where there, there's these you know, cruel things said about a man. 
And of course, I like like Vicky Cruelly. I'm like, hey, how do you like it? And then I was like, don't be that way. And then I'm like, yeah, this this doesn't add anything. Um, it, it I wouldn't I don't want any characters to be putting down other characters. Kind of like Tony, what you were saying earlier. Like, why are we even having this? I can understand Vicky getting in again because she's a little churlish as as being a teenager. Yeah. But given that in the last novelization Barbara and Ian were were totally like in love, in love. and yes. macking on each other um, this makes no sense no. zero percent yeah, no, not at all um, and again take a shot it's not on screen <laughs> <laughs> people would be blitzed yeah well of course they would they'd be as blitzed as we are which is a lovely thing <laughs> always <laughs> always yes but yeah it's it's not there it doesn't seem to add anything to it I like Tony. I liked your note about biorhythms. I too, when Ian was saying, oh, my, my biorhythms must be off, I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Ian? 1987. Like, yeah, what? Excuse me? I, All of you are too young to remember this. Um, well, this is interesting. What What is your association with biorhythms? In the late 80s, biorhythms was the new astrology. Oh. Everybody knew about biorhythms. Oh, that was like circadian rhythms or something no. a little more. Scientific. Oh goodness, no. In no, fact, oh, you can still sign you can still find it online. You can still find a website where you put your birth date in and it tells you, Oh, you're on high today, oh you're on low oh, today. I have a good thing to add after this. I actually thought that this was referring to the real hormonal rhythms that men do experience yeah. even though they, they are not women and don't have mm. menstrual yeah. cycles. Okay, we all had that's very true. So we all Except that's we, too much credit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Think about it from this perspective. Ian Ian Chesterton is a science teacher in 1963. He's he, not going to know about these he's things. He's a science teacher? Yeah, you didn't know that? Oh, that's right, you didn't know that. Oh, wow, oh. I forgot about well, that. Well, okay. Yeah, that's he's a science teacher and Babs is the history teacher. I knew that she was a history teacher. I had forgotten what Yeah, because of Crusades, but yeah, this is uh, where he's supposed to shine in the science fiction story, and he doesn't really shine at all. <laughs> Well, oh, where was the place someone can, can help? They're talking about the solar plexus. Oh. Um, I don't know. I'll look for it. Someone else. Uh, I remember Gastonade. <laughs> that was a weird one. Where. Oh, yeah. Here it is. Yeah, I'm on page, good old page 52. That. <laughs> good to know. Um, the. Aha, uh-huh, you found it. No. Oh, yeah. I guess Dalton can count. Yeah. No, 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 Dalton, no, 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 Dalton Hughes, no. They didn't notice what he was doing. Dalton Hughes was looking up on his phone the biorhythms oh. low side. Oh, that was so funny. Speaking of being condescending and dickish, oh, Dalton found page 52. No, no, um, that was a big my, my dickish um, this time. I'm, I'm currently <laughs> on the upswing, oh. almost to the, the, the zenith for my emotional oh. and intellectual biorhythms. Oh. And my physical biorhythm has at, is at its lowest point. Oh, dear. So, so you're just a brain in a jar at this point. Pretty much. And, and I must be at my low point because Allison thinks I'm being condescending and dickish. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't trying to be. This I'm is imminently okay. relevant. Um, this was on page 52. What? Bo. I'm like, are these Bo. fucking Bo. Teletubbies? I don't know. Yes, but actually. Bo, Bo protested, feeling the fear spread from his solar plexus, reaching out to his toes and fingertips. I'm like, what? 
I, I had to... Bad it, fish tacos, it, more than fear, it, I think. It's in my fingers. So, I feel it in my toes. Whatever that song toes. is. Yeah. I, I had to look it up. I'm like, what, what does fear... It, it, I had a question. I'm like, does fear come from your solar plexus? So according to uh, balancechakra.com, the third <laughs> chakra located near the solar plexus can cause fear when it's out of balance. But I think Jones just meant like your stomach, like fear yeah, coming from your stomach. Yeah. However, and I'm like, chakras well, were a big thing. I, I, okay, okay. So I'm like, why didn't you just say that? You, like, I would not put it past Glenn Jones to have been very much into new age mm-hmm. in the late 80s because just about everybody was. Balancechakra.com. Oh, yeah. There you um, go. There you go. <laughs> Check your biorhythms. It's yellow. Get it's your, your chakras your in balance. Your yellow well, chakra. Those two balance. If you're not too. If you're not too drunk from playing the drinking game, because I've said it's not on screen so many times, and let me just repeat, that's not on screen. None of that is on screen. Most of the best things about this book and the worst things about this book are not there. But that's the equivalent of, in in form, when they mention the 1980 or 82 Soviet craft Mm -hmm. satellite they find in there. That's one of the rare examples of a very explicit reference to something that happens between when the episode was broadcast and when the novelization was published. Oh, that's Uh, right. So... Who, who recognizes it? I, the, the doctor, I think. Uh, yeah. Because, because Ian and Vicky would not. They would not. Or I'm sorry, Ian and Barbara would not. They would I, not. But I think it's the doctor rather And than probably Vicky. Vicky wouldn't either. Probably she doesn't recognize the fucking Dalek. She doesn't recognize the Dalek. No. Yeah. And that, that is something uh, that's on screen because she says, oh, I think it looks rather friendly. Um... <sighs> Except she doesn't recognize it. Unplug my toilet. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it looks like it. Um, she recognize she doesn't recognize it as a Dalek because there's no label on any of the exhibits because they've got this weird speech thing. Even though on screen it is labeled as a Dalek, so I don't know. It was a nice idea to play with yeah. the more universal labeling system. I guess, and I I suppose it brings in this whole idea of nobody knows what language they're speaking. The TARDIS is not translating yet again. Because Glenn Jones hasn't watched the show since he wrote for it or appeared in it, and doesn't know that the TARDIS translates for everybody. Long distance like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I don't know if it was doing it. If it was doing it that early. Well, see, it would. Yeah. Well, they they don't bring it up, and in fact, it's weird when it doesn't happen. Um, eventually, I hope you all will be here with me when we do this, but when we get to the second Doctor's last story, The War Games, there will be characters who are speaking in French and in Spanish, and the TARDIS isn't translating. Mm. Now, plot-wise, that makes some sense. It means that the TARDIS is being, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's being... Serviced? Lubed? (laughs) Tires rotated? Taken over? <laughs> now, see, now I can't cut that out because that's too good. Um, no, it's being suppressed somehow. Oh, okay. It's being suppressed. So its translation functions are being suppressed. It's not working. I don't even think that's in the novelization, though. But if you were doing the sort of thing that we do as fans, which is to retcon it, mm-hmm. we look at it and say, oh, there's the explanation. Well, the writer's able to do in 1987, able to retcon to something that, yeah. was, something that was decades before. But it's not working here. The TARDIS is not translating, even though we know by 1987 it does. This happened in Reign of Terror as well. They were having to speak French. Ian didn't speak French as well as the other two. Right. And it's just the weirdest damn thing. Except he still managed to speak French well enough to get them all in trouble. Yeah. 
And we still get that awful line, have any arms fallen into Zeron hands? I saw that. <laughs> I didn't do a double take on that. Yeah, it's on screen. It's in a different place, but it's on screen. It's one of the things that... Uh, <laughs> Yes, exactly. Was it something like you have a license to remove arms? (laughs) Yeah, pay pantomiming my arms. (laughs) I miss that, and that is hilarious. Yes, there's a brilliant fan guide called the Discontinuity Guide, and they do dialogue uh, triumphs and dialogue disasters. The dialogue disasters for this story include that line, yeah, because it is disastrous, and yet he included it again. Maybe he thought he was being funny. I uh, the whole thing. It's like a bunch of missed jokes. Yeah, I have to admit that there's a bit in chapter six that I thought was really great, where it says something along the lines of Ian was feeling this, Barbara was feeling this, Vicky was feeling this. What the doctor was feeling was anybody's guess. <laughs> it's like yeah, I, I like that, but it's the only thing I like. The whole beginning where they just talk about four pairs of eyes were doing this, then two pairs of eyes did this, then the third pair of eyes did this, then there was only seven eyes because one I got hooked. I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, stop the middle of the third hand. I was very, I I think already... It's like a word problem in math. I wrote like, lol, this already sucks. Like, I just was like, I don't care how many eyes are here. What is is going on? And the Um, the line, it was a choral response. I was like, oh, they all said it at the same time. You're right, there were some strange, like, SAT words peppered in here. Right. <laughs> I'm like, oh, what, where is this coming from? It's, it's just so stupid. At the same time, oh. that passage... Oh, sorry. No, no. There, there was... I thought a nice... I enjoyed Ian's sufferings in this. Uh, well, I thought it was in a humorous way. <laughs> was someone, well, like, someone complaining about their mm-hmm. day at work in a very funny, witty way. Thing where, like, Barbara sighs, Vicky sighs, and Ian like instinctively puts an arm around their shoulders or something comforting. <laughs> then a, a page later, Ian sighs, and the doctor basically tells him his face is going to freeze that way. Yeah. <laughs> In terms of how he feels all the time, I thought it kind yeah. of worked. He feels so put upon. Yeah, he's like the Rodney Dangerfield of yes. the TARDIS yeah. crew. Yeah. Which is crazy. Can't you were about to say no something. Respect. Yeah. Um, oh, just about... Uh, the the words. I was just gonna say it is supposed to be educational. So. All the words. All of the well, the, the peppering of the, <laughs> yeah, the long words true. mixed in. I so agree. it's like, all right, here you go. Here's a word that you're gonna have to look up. Was Glenn Jones a dad when he wrote this? Maybe he was like his, his dad jokes and like yeah. his, yeah. his kid. Dad jokes. He's like, just yeah, just this is what a kid is gonna like. This is like, funny, right? <laughs> this is so really young stuff. Stuff. Enjoy. But oh. words, I need him to learn. Yes. God, maybe that's exactly what it was. It could have very well have been that Glenn Jones was told, okay, these are books for teenagers. They're studying for their SATs and ACTs. Well, the British equivalent, if they have one. And, yeah, that it's geared towards educating kids a bit more. And you've got that weird sort of sub-thing about the revolution. Yeah. Revolution. Civil War. Which isn't quite there. Isn't quite developed. And they've got dad jokes. Yeah. Like a chess-playing robot named Nat. I cannot tell you how much that offends me. I don't know why it offends me so much. I don't... Oh, actually, I do know what it is. We hear about Matt. We hear about how much he loves Matt. The first time we see Matt, he shoots him dead. He destroys the robot as soon as we... The first time we see Matt. Yeah. That's like, fucking... Why? 
Why are you even in pettiness? It's pettiness, though. Pettiness and frustration. But do we? It's lazy characterization, but it's effective. It's really lazy characterization. But we almost understand as, that he's bad. Almost as lazy as naming someone Lobos. Instead of, Lobo, instead of Lobo or, or Bo. Bo. You know. You've taken it more personally. I, I would have really anticipated. Have. I think it's simply <laughs> because I, I have to admit, I've done something that I've asked all of you all not to do. I've gone into this book hating it from the start. Hating the booze. Mainly because, unlike any of y'all who have never seen the televised version, I've seen and suffered through the televised version, and I've long had a hatred for the story because uh. the first episode is so glorious, and episodes two through four are such shite. You said earlier you had ideas about how you'd make this story better. Oh, yes. Oh. Here's, my, here's what I would love someone to do. And I think this should be done with most Doctor Who stories. Uh, I wish someone of uh, the caliber of writers such as, um, oh, God, who is it that's novelizing the Douglas Adams scripts right now? Oh, God, I'm blanking out on this. James Goss. I think James Goss should go in, novelize this first episode, and then write the story from where the first mm. episode ends, what he thinks would have come next. Mm, because, yeah, this is something we used to do. Um, in fact, uh, in the early 2000s, before I had to resign in disgrace, I was uh, part of a round-robin Doctor Who writing group. Mm. And what you would do, and I think I've even mentioned this on the podcast before, is you'd get a chapter, and it would end on a cliffhanger. The next writer would have to come in and mm. write the next chapter thinking what they were going to do from that point. So even if you had, the first, I remember a very major occasion, the writer before me had the doctor and a character you don't know yet named Stephen. You'll meet him quite soon. The doctor is injecting him with a hypodermic, and Stephen says, well, what are you doing? What are you injecting me with? And the doctor says, I'm injecting you with a poison that will kill you. And that's the last line of the chapter. And I was like, oh my god. What am I supposed to do with this? And then I realized, oh, here's where we go. And I managed to write a chapter that explained mm -hmm. that line and why it was happening, why the doctor was doing this without invalidating mm -hmm. it. That's what I would love for James Goss or some a writer just as good or even better to do. I'm not saying that James Goss is not a good writer because we will find out soon how good a writer he is. Just go to the original first episode, mm -hmm. find where it ends, mm -hmm write a new story from that point. Yeah. Because the story we get, awful. Or at least I think so, I'm sorry. I like to think that you were removed from that group for spying for Putin and betraying the American Amateur Sci-Fi Brain Trust. Worse. I hit reply all. <laughs> oh, that's you monster. Yes, I hit reply all on an email that should have just been reply, criticizing another writer. Mm. Never mm. a good idea. Never a good idea, and there's no way around that. I was an asshole. I like how you put it. the reply all before the criticizing of the writer. <laughs> <laughs> Arguably well, more egregious. Yeah. It was the larger crime, uh, I must say. Yes, it's, it's because a real breach of my criticisms of that writer still stand. But yeah, they shouldn't have been you know, public, except they are now. <laughs> Kind of sounds well. <laughs> yeah, Although, for what it's worth, I was once written up at a job for doing reply all in email because oh it was unprofessional. God. And I was put on an improvement plan. Oh, no. Um, oh, my goodness. I, I quit like a couple is, months later. Is that like a layaway plan? Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> layaway for my. You have to live in a stock uh, room. <laughs> no, I, I had to. 
it was sort of like an event um, coordinating thing. I was actually at Microsoft. It was in their training oh. facility, oh, no. and I would be tasked. At, I did like an evening shift of putting out the materials that the people would need to use in the morning when they're setting up their little conferences and learning things. But the rules were so anal. Like every room had these whiteboards, and there were dry erase markers that I had to put in order alphabetical so I had to be blue green <laughs> no no say I already fucked it up black blue green and red because oh it's my God. blue blah blah blue yeah you know whatever and I I would get in trouble you have to for put that blue and black and they'd be like well these aren't in the order and I'm like I oh, really wow. I don't know but that's not the humor there um wow the, the things we've endured <laughs> yeah no I understand um, we are all Ian in our own way. We are. So put Sometimes upon. we are. Sometimes. Any last weirdnesses or thoughts about this? Because everyone seems to think that Vicky's characterization is annoying, but at least it's characterization. I actually um, love. I thought Vicky's it was yeah, the best character in the. I, I love the idea of. It seemed to me like a genuine, brainy teen trying to figure out power and humor and trying to. Mm -hmm imitate a mentor who has social position that she does not right. and not knowing how all those subtle dynamics work and that was the most off it felt like the most authentic part of the story to me for her and i would i would say that you're right there because um vicky on screen is a little little less defined but she does have more to do in the story and that that's a good thing and i thought it played off of you know the, the point of view of ian feeling so put upon that now even the teenager is giving him the acerbic burn. Yes. And that, for both of them, I thought the characterization worked for this. Even though it, it's thin, but for Vicky, it's so much more than we have had before in the That's books. true. We finally have a character. Yeah. I do have a favorite quote. Okay. This, this is right after Ian has imitated the, the trick that he saw in a western where he like throws a rock over the TARDIS to distract one yeah, of the aliens. Yeah. The alien says some something lame in response, and Ian hears, wait have from Ian. Good grief, Ian thought. His dialogue is worse than mine. I'm in a Western and he's in a soap opera. <laughs> yes, yes. You're right, Ian. His dialogue was indeed quite terrible. Yes, this is true. I give a lot of points for self-awareness. Yeah, 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 there is something to say about that. Yeah, moments like those were really strange. I was like, is this the author speaking through like this? And it, it wouldn't be dialogue it would be like his speech because mm -hmm. one character can't have dialogue with itself like i just shook my head at a lot of those moments yeah it, it reminds me a lot of when we read the rescue by ian martyr and i said that some of the weirdness there could be the fact that he was dying at the time he was writing it <laughs> and i that's a bad bad attribution but still there's some weirdnesses yeah. there and you think you know this might be the fever dream of somebody who's and I hate to say that because I love Ian Martyr, and he's not Bram Stoker. When you read um, that last novel, Bram Stoker, you're like, oh yeah, this guy's dying. Mm -hmm. You can just see it in the prose, but not so much in the Martyr. Here, it does have that weird sense of self-awareness. It's like he's aware that he's writing schlock, but he's also trying to write high-concept co mm -hmm. science fiction with comedy, with dad jokes. We don't know what kind of yeah. editorial constraints he's within as well on this. No. Or support, if any. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. true. I, I, I well, and turn it around in three weeks. And yeah. it's interesting because you can have all the things that you just said. Mm. It's like the Princess Bride. Like, that's yes. when 
it works like self-awareness and dad yeah. jokes and something that's mature and yet intended for a child yeah. uh, and that's you know one of the great stories of our times for so yeah. many reasons yeah I'm trying to remember who well, famous is not that no no it, it's got like it, it could according to Tony what you're saying trying to be doing some of the same things yeah, yeah. Just but not doing it nearly as well I'm, yeah. I'm trying Take to remember who the editor was at Target at this point I don't think it was Nigel Robinson anymore <sighs> Dalton, thoughts? Um, no, I'm just looking over the notes. Um, I see you made a note about the doctor hiding in the Dalek. Um, yes, that actually happens on screen. <laughs> shot. That was I'm going to have a shot. Just, um, yeah, just the idea of like the doctor hiding in you know, his greatest enemy. Just Inside his greatest enemy. Well, that's an entirely different literary genre. We well, there was there. an episode called Inside the Dalek, but yes, that would turn into <laughs> yeah. gay science fiction. So right. Slash fiction. There slash you guys. fiction. Um, yeah, I just thought that was kind of... What must the word count be on the Dr. Dalek slash fiction? Mm -hmm. It must exist on well, the internet. I'm sure the word penetrate comes up quite a bit because yes. that rhymes with exterminate. Yes. Oh, oh. Goodness, you're right. And there was well, a softcore porn well, done. Well, they do have that for business. Kinda. Well, have you, do you know about the softcore porn movie done with the Daleks in the early 2000s? <laughs> because, oh my lord. Yeah, Clearly you, you do, and I've I, received counseling to deal with the aftermath of viewing it. it oh, seems. because I'm such a Dalek fan, <laughs> I had to watch it. And I wish I hadn't. But, yeah. Just so, a cursory Googling on my uh, <laughs> my cloaked browser, because I'm not going to Google this on my regular browser. Uh, there, there's many results, many things that, that uh, don't say I didn't warn you, the title of a promising story. Oh. I just said, whoever wrote this, I haven't read it. I think the number of stories is in the it's, it's quite interesting, but yeah, there's, there's many things we could read here. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Imagine that sexual tension. Oh, God. Do we have to? I mean, we're already going there. Already doing it. Well, speaking of things that we go to, as we always do, let's go to goodreads.com. What a terrible transition. Um, let's go Doesn't to matter, dig transition. Yes. have to do it at some point. Let's go to goodreads.com for online reviews of the book. Let's leave to goodreads.com. Oh, Jesus. As we always do, let's go to goodreads.com <laughs> for online reviews. Jesus, Watch me goodreads or I die. I'm trying so hard here. And this this is so strong. Don't ever bring this for us to drink again. <laughs> it's apple cider. <laughs> had a big day. I really have. As we always do, let's go to goodreads.com for online reviews of the book written by other readers that follow up with our own ratings. By the way, if you're listening to this podcast and want to have your review featured when we get to an upcoming book, simply read the book, write a review on Goodreads, and then write a comment somewhere that we have a chance to see it before discussing ourselves. You may get your review read out loud here, but none of you ever have. And I despair that you ever will. What if I made my own comment on Goodreads? I would include it. I would include it. But it's all just ragging on Tony and how you don't like his hair or something. I'm going to create my hair. Nothing at all. Well, there is. I was trying to manufacture a third scenario. It's a hair. There is no legitimate criticism thereof. Sure. <laughs> the average rating for this story it's out of five stars. I, I can see that. The average rating for this story out of five stars is 3.08, which is understandably low. 
compared to the other reviews. And as Allison points out, Goodreads is all of the literature. So if it's 3.08, it must be kind of high. Um, Here's some sample reviews. Um, uh, God, where is it? And by the way, there were relatively fewer and shorter reviews this time, which I take as a sign. <laughs> Steve gave it only two stars, saying a bit generic but quite fun first Doctor story. The Morocks and Zerons are as interchangeable as in the TV version, and no explanation is given as to why the TARDIS crew see their own futures. But who cares? It's the first Doctor clutching his lapels and harumphing his way through a Vicky-inspired alien revolution. Some nice little extra details are mentioned, e.g. the Xeron's lack of sense of smell, and the sets certainly feel more convincing than on TV. Jennifer, not Jenny, but Jennifer, listened to the audiobook version and gave it only one star. Even though Maureen O'Brien reads the audiobook version. Oh. Yeah, so it's automatically better. That's cool. Yeah. The idea of the museum was an interesting one, but nothing else about the story really interested me very much. <laughs> and I somehow completely missed what happened to sort out the situation. For me, the real first real doctor was Patrick Troughton, so William Hartnell takes a bit of getting used to, but that was more successful in this one than any other I've listened to. The incident where he hides inside a Dalek is funny. That's the only thing that's funny. And finally, Andy Simmons gave it a three, saying another quite good Doctor Who book. The story isn't much to write home about, or write a review about, I'm going to anyway. But it's an enjoyable romp for me. It was the humor that made the story worth reading. There was enough in the writing to stop the story getting too staid, but nowhere near as much as in Doctor Who and the Romans. In fairness, Romans was farce material, whereas the Space Museum isn't. I've heard this. In fact, someone commented on our Facebook page saying they hated the Romans. And they said it was because the humor was a little too over the top. Mm. And it's like, that's a fair point. Yeah. Um, I've only rated the story with three stars as it isn't excellent, but without the humor, it certainly would have been a dull read. In other words, it would have been the TV episode. So, Jenny. This is out of five, right? Out of five. <laughs> um, I had that, that moment... Uh, Lemonade and vodka induced, where I was like, "Oh, here's the point where he's going to ask me to give the number, and then what to get the union higher woman." Oh, it's true. It's true. Uh, next time I don't know. Spouse. I mean, it's it wasn't terrible. I, <laughs> I I guess I have to give it like a solid two point five. Oh. Like, oh wow! Okay. Like it's just in the middle. Like it it wasn't killing me to read it, and the badness of the writing sometimes was entertaining. Like, there's times you can read something that is written poorly and be like, wow, I just want to kill myself. Um, and other times you're like, ha this is funnily poorly written. Right. And so I'm like, oh, no, that, that's fine. I didn't, I didn't hate it. Okay. Awesome. I'm going to go with 1.5, which I know yeah. means that I am considered just completely hard of stone, but I'm trying Not to remain time. true that Please. is on just the spectrum of everything that I have personally read ever. Um, it would be lower, but I really like the characterization of Vicky that felt very much like a brainy teen and was not genderized in the way it very easily could have been. Okay. And I actually did like the Rodney, Rodney Dangerfield put upon Ian internal monologue as well. And Lobos, for that matter. Uh, I was, I was not very impressed by the internal monologue of Lobos. No. Lesbos or Lobos. <laughs> None of the three. Yeah, I can't say I'm <laughs> Or neither of the two nor the island. All right. I'm no, sorry. sorry. What was the first one that I came on for? Where I think they're inside the Dalek trying to like fix it or something. Um, and I'm not. Gonna oh, you're thinking. You're thinking about the TV episode inside the Dalek, but 
Or not the Dalek, sorry. The, the, um, Targus, the Tardis. Yeah. Edge of Destruction. That. The, all of these have been better than that. That one is my least favorite one really? that I've ever read. Yes. I, I'm just, well, anyway. Oh, yeah. you're just in a really I, misogynistic one. Yeah, um, I, I did. I missed yeah. uh, the Zarbi. Was that the one you that was did. super misogynistic? But you caught the Crusaders, and that I, was pretty I know, damn misogynistic. pretty awesome. Yeah, that was um, pretty anti-woman. You missed a good one, Alice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but oh, in any case. Lucky you. Right. Don't give us your you. impressions. Um, Lower the boom. <laughs> I, I usually tend to take things with a grain of salt and uh, perspective. And These are meant for kids. These are meant for a younger audience. These are supposed to be an easier read, so I'm usually a little easier on them. Um, so I'm probably going to go with like a three. So it's kind of like middle of the road for me. Um, which, like you said, I say a lot of the times, but that's because I'm looking at this like... Um, uh, I've, I've been gone for the past week and my boyfriend's parents were in town and they were talking to me about this and I kind of just described it as like we're reading basically pulp novels mm-hmm. very very quick reads very easy reads very much beach books um, yeah so they're supposed to be very like just you get through it you get through it you get through it the story isn't supposed to be super complicated it's not anything that you're going to have like a great intellectual thoughts about even though they try there's clearly things in there they're trying for but it's, and we it's, try right um so yeah it's enjoyable for me um i'm a fan of of easy things like that you know i like okay. i like uh action films because i don't have to think a whole lot mm-hmm. um although i do like lots of things that i do have to think about um so yeah this one's just like sometimes you just need something to take your mind off of things and it was very light um, okay. even though it was trying to deal with something a little heavier okay. which it didn't do successfully yeah. but um but yeah looking at this as something that like a, a kid would want to read right. um it would be enjoyable to me as a teenager okay so. i thought that you were going to rate your boyfriend's parents on a scale of zero to five and i was on the edge of my seat <laughs> waiting to find out you were to rate them higher or lower than the Space Museum. (laughs) It would be pretty brutal if you rated them lower. No, they're definitely higher than Space Museum. Well, I I think the fact that you mentioned a boyfriend just broke a few of our listeners' hearts, but yeah. That's all right. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Dalton was born to break hearts. Yes, I think so too. Uh, Before I give my rating, I do have to apologize to both Allison and Dalton because something I said earlier made it sound like they say the same phrase over and over again. I do. What I meant by that was... (laughs) Guilty as charged. What I meant by that was that you're right. These books are beach reads, and they're easy, and they're meant to be. They're absolutely meant to be, and the reason why I said that that lends itself well to a drinking game is because every episode of our podcast does have that sort of conclusion to it, as well it should. Uh, Apart from the Crusaders, apart from the Daleks, which no one at this table has read, there, there aren't any great Doctor Who novelizations in story order, not for a long time yet. Y'all will have to stick with me for another five years. You are not to it at all. I know, I know, I know. Well, let me put it this way: we're going to get a lot of dicks before then. Dicks, and we're getting good dicks, not the sort of dicks we've had so far. We're getting good dicks. Dix, when Dix was younger. No one can see how hard I'm blushing at this point. Younger Dix. Much mm. better Dix. Anyway, sorry, I got kind of... But what if Dix with experience are, are better than young Dix right. sometimes? Well, sometimes, I would say. 
this is true. I, yeah, I live my life by that axiom because otherwise I would get no dates at all. However, God, I'm not selling this at all. What am I trying to say here? What I'm trying to say is no, that this, this is a beach read. This is an easy read. For me, it wasn't a particularly good read, and I think it's because this is one of the few books that I came into with really negative preconceived notions. Mm. Tut Probably. tut. Yes, I agree. Well, I will say I was surprised at how harsh you were in your assessments relative to the others that we've read, because this isn't any worse than, say, two or three others I've read in no, the half agree. dozen or so that I've done. Yeah. Um, but but it, it was interesting that your, your yeah. distaste for the episode definitely resulted in a distaste for the book coming in. Right, and I think that might be because you weren't here for the recording of the Marco Polo episode. I was not. These two were. <laughs> so they know what it's like when I don't like a book. Oh. Um, and in that case, it was just my combination of not liking the historical stories coupled with what I thought was a subpar novel. They loved it. I hated it. I know, and I like the history. And it's weird, yeah. though, because the Aztecs, which you didn't read, I mm. adored. I really do like. I that. was very entertained by the Romans. Yeah, I mean, and the Romans is I quite, it was quite witty. Yeah, the Aztecs is a stronger story than Marco yeah. Polo. Oh yeah, much, wow. much. There's more going on in it. It's yeah. got an aim. Yeah, it's got a goal. This story is aimless and goalless. Yeah, it has Chekhov's guns that jam. <laughs> very good. Or misfire entirely. You must copyright that immediately. I I will try. Um, Check off guns at jam. And they really do. <laughs> yes, there we go. It's just, yeah. I think it's because I've suffered through the televised version of the story so many times. And I think it's because I adore the first episode. Mm -hmm. I am so looking forward to the three of you seeing the first episode because it's like a very good episode of The Twilight Zone. It's what Doctor Who should be. Well, I think that carries over. The first yeah. two chapters, I thought, oh, this is actually quite nice. Except yeah. he also ruins it in the novelization. That's something I didn't bring up. He starts um, kind of slowly bringing in the main story before they arrive mm -hmm. in the time track, whereas their arrival in the time track happens at the very end of episode one. You do not know who Lobos is. You do not know who the Xerons are. You know nothing until episode two, mm -hmm. which is the best way to do it. The book kind of muddies that a bit, and that's why I give this one a 1.5, which is why I was looking at you and saying, no, no, honey, you're not being difficult at all, or, or um, what was the word you used for that? Because difficult is not a word I would use Harsh. with you. Harsh. Yeah. <laughs> My heart pumps Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a difficult thing for a Southerner to admit, but there you go, because that's the drink of communists, don't you know? Pepsi? Yes. Not yes. Carolina. That is well, very that's actually a worth a North Carolina saying. Google though, Pepsi. Saying of my mom for my grandma. Google Pepsi and Soviet. Because it's an interesting story. It Pepsi it varies by the decade, though, it, whether um, or not Coke or Pepsi is. It's, it's for old timers like me. The, it's on where you're at. And so. in Georgia, they would probably still think this because the Coca Cola bottle I mean, plants in Atlanta. Yeah, Georgia is a red state because of Coca Cola. Yeah, basically. Anyway, Space Museum, 1.5. Terrible. Did anyone else while reading this keep flashing back to the 2008, I think it was Andy Samberg, or the SNL guy is, uh, 2008, 
who did the humor songs, the Space Olympics court. <laughs> oh. You're in the Space Olympics. Oh, you Grand Tradition. You're a winner. I have this on my Heat iPod. Heat 3 totally cancelled. <laughs> that sounds yeah. so much you know, more entertaining well. than this book. Oh, it is. Oh, it is. Then I have to see. that I really enjoyed a lot. Humor that works. Well, I'm like this, yeah. Exactly. Well, well one, one more kick in the nuts before he goes. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, Glenn Sorry, Jones. Glenn. But, but you're dead already, so who All cares? Right. Thank you, guys. <laughs> and thank you, fellow time travelers, for giving us your valuable time. Next time we get back to finding out what the Daleks have been up to all this time in John Peel's novelization of Terry Nations, not Carry Nations, but Terry Nations, The Chase. And we will be joined by special guest panelist Trey Corte. Ooh. Whether it's here or my place, I don't know yet. We may just rent a hotel room so that we, yeah. You're there already. Yes, but Trey will be with us. We're looking forward to it. In the meantime, if you liked what you've heard here, like us on Facebook at Doctor Who Target Book Club Podcast, all one word in those spaces. You can also visit our still pristine subreddit <laughs> at www.reddit.com forward slash r forward slash dwtargetbc, though I don't know why I read that because no one's going to go there anyway. Also, feel free to watch videos of our first 12 <laughs> episodes. <laughs> I think so. And give us a thumbs up or comment on YouTube, and that is at www.youtube.com forward slash user forward slash emperordalic forward slash forward slash videos. Follow us on Twitter. We're at DWTargetBC. Or subscribe to us via the podcaster of your choice. We are on iTunes. We are on SoundCloud. Thanks to the wonderful patronage of Bart Lamy. Thank you so much. Stitcher, tune in, and at some point soon, on Podbean. If all else fails you, email us at dwtargetbc at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us, we'd welcome your support at https forward slash www.patreon.com forward slash Alright, let's try it again. <laughs> www.patreon.com forward slash dwtargetbc. Thank you very much for listening and enjoy your travels. Bye bye. Goodbye. Hello, fellow time travelers, and welcome back to the Doctor Who Target Book Club, the podcast in when we... Uh, fuck. Duck. All right, one more time. <laughs> Probably Which, going a little more. All right, big. let me take a little more drink of this. Yeah. We should include the Oh, I do. At some point. They always go at the end of the episode. <laughs> the, that will definitely be on there. <clears throat>